This is an RNZ podcast. This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. Efforts to eliminate the Delta variant here came under severe scrutiny from our media this week. Likewise, vaccination. But before all that, media reports of COVID clusters in Auckland this week sparked racist responses from some people and claims that the reporting itself made the problem worse. Wellington Mornings, I'm Nick Mills, here till 12 o'clock with me is producer Rosie Gordon in the control room. We have been talking, or we started the show talking and we want to carry it on, a little bit about the misinformation or not getting the correct information at the one o'clock, uh, uh, one o'clock press conferences. That was News Talk ZB's Wellington Morning host Nick Mills, not happy with what he was hearing from what the health minister famously called the one source of truth during last year's lockdowns. But what was it that he wasn't getting from the powers that be when they had the full attention of our news media and the public? Uh, we are continuously hearing about saline solution going into the arms instead of the Pfizer vaccine. We're continuously hearing about the funding to GPs that has it happened or isn't happening. We're continuously hearing about issues that are going on with our uh, vaccine hysteria. But we're all hearing it from the media, not from the one o'clock media conferences, which I personally feel is wrong. Well, certainly the media have brought to light some aspects of the COVID response that those accountable for it need to explain, like that error he referred to there, five people possibly not properly vaccinated at one Auckland centre back in July. That was a scoop that led RNZ's morning report on Wednesday, after which it was called a botch-up by RNZ, News Hub and the New Zealand Herald. And on Thursday, one of those vaccinated at the place in question on that day told Morning Report it was a cover-up and should be a sacking offence. This is absolutely appalling, and and I think that there should be uh, heads that roll over this. Now, this was not a trivial error, and apparently not that well handled afterwards, but it was just one mishap from hundreds of thousands of vaccinations, as Fiona Tolich herself acknowledged on Morning Report. But it clearly amplified doubts about the vaccination drive for News Talk ZB's Nick Mills, which he further amplified by his loose use of words like misinformation and hysteria. On his show on Thursday, Nick Mills called the National Party COVID spokesperson Chris Bishop and asked him this. Do you think this will stir up a bit of vaccine hesitancy? I really hope it doesn't, and that, that to be honest, is something I am a little bit concerned about when it comes to that story. Um, it, it is a tricky one because, you, you know, it's obviously in the public interest that people know that there were five uh, people in Highbrook who may not have been vaccinated properly, if at all. Uh, but obviously you don't want people going, oh, I don't know if I should go and get a vaccine then. And after that, Chris Bishop was asked another awkward question by ZB's Nick Mills. These uh, vaccination days at Porirua that are aimed at the Maori and Pacifica and one at Levin that happened yesterday, the same thing. We're getting a few uh, messages through, texts through that they're finding them racist. What's your comment to that? Chris Bishop, who is a Hutt Valley-based MP, also pointed out that vaccination drives targeting specific populations need not be racist. There are particular um, uh, facilities and vaccination centres targeted at, at our Maori and Pacifica populations and um, those, the rates of um, vaccination amongst those ethnicities do lag below uh, the national average and um, you know, we're not all protected until everyone is protected or as many people as possible are protected. So I just encourage people to make sure that they um, go and get vaccinated and um, you know, um, 
everyone can go and get vaccinated all sorts of different places. Again, Chris Bishop had the big picture and the main message in mind there for a question that he can't have been expecting. And in spite of what Chris Bishop told him there, ZB's Nick Mills followed up with this. A couple of texts that have just come through. I have just seen that Levin had a drive-through vaccination day and today it's at Porua doing the same, but only for Maori and Pacifica. I think that's racist. What about the rest of the country? I had my bookings, which I did over a month ago, cancelled as it was the first day of lockdown. Now I'm way down the queue. But before airing that, ZB could have easily established that the Moapoko Tribal Authority in Horofenua and Mid-Central Health organised that drive-through clinic which vaccinated hundreds of people on Thursday. More than 500 people booked appointments using codes provided by the authority and that gave Māori and Pacifica Fano priority. But it did have extra vaccines for all those who hadn't booked in advance. And it was a similar story for a clinic in Porirua that Nick Mills mentioned earlier on the air, from which one listener, Tahana, called in soon after. Mate, I'm out in the drive-through out in Porirua, and I've just heard on your radio show, man, that they think it's racist because it's mouldy and <laughs> non-mouldy and and for Pacifica only, but there are mouldy, non-mouldy, Pacific Island, non-Pacific Island, there are Pākehā people, non-Pākehā people out here, bro. Not, not, not any of those dodgy Pākehā people out there, is it? Mate, they're all dodgy out here. Pākehā, Māori. Nah, yeah. it's, it's all good, bro, that everyone's lining up and they've got a... And not only was it not racist, the whole thing was running pretty well, he said and it was Tahana's tip-off and not the suspicions of the anonymous texter which ended up in ZB's next local news bulletin. No bookings are required, people can just turn up and four people are allowed per vehicle until two this afternoon. One man who is there named Tahana told Nick Mills it's busy, cars are moving slowly but people are in good spirits. Good to know and no need to amplify racist reckons from listeners who had the wrong end of the stick especially as Nick Mills said he was so concerned about what he called vaccine hysteria and misinformation coming from official sources. Now that News Talk ZB bulletin on Thursday also updated another situation that sparked claims of racism this past week. About half our cases announced so far are linked to a pre-lockdown service at the Assemblies of God Church of Samoa in South Auckland involving 25 congregations. When the Director-General of Health told reporters at Tuesday's briefing that Pacifica people accounted for more than half of the cases of COVID-19 in the current outbreak, That fact was reported and in some cases headlined by our news media. Now in itself that wasn't actually all that surprising given that it was already clear that a church service in Mangare attended by more than 500 people at the Samoan Assembly of God Church was at the heart of the biggest cluster. But the stories triggered online racist abuse targeting Pacifica people and communities prompting the Ministry of Health to then condemn their behaviour, and the Director-General himself called it gutless at Wednesday's briefing. But shortly before that, Race Relations Commissioner Meng Foon pointed the finger at the media on RNZ's midday report. I think the uh, news media actually had a big part to play in identifying the nationality of the people in the church. And Midday Report's intro also made the point that one of the first clusters, the one dubbed the Birkdale Social Cluster, was a group of people in their 20s, one of whom also went to a church, but they weren't identified ethnically. 
Now, one reporter right in the middle of this was Stuff's Pacific Issues reporter Torika Tokalau, who was criticised for a report which merely reported Dr Bloomfield's statements and that a racist backlash against those communities had already begun. Stuff blocked their Facebook comments facility for that piece, and TVNZ later removed a similar post they had on Facebook, presumably because of the racist responses that people were posting to that. And on TVNZ One News at 6 on Wednesday, TVNZ's Pacific Issues reporter Barbara Drever pointed out that all this had obscured a bigger and more important issue about the COVID response for Pacifica people. Put it this way, here's the Ministry of Health who think they know how to get Pacifica people vaccinated and here are the Pacific health providers who actually do know. The fact that Pacifica health providers have been begging government to let them take the lead on this and today we've heard the Minister say there is a good relationship is just beyond belief and it does show a huge disconnect between Pacific leaders and the Ministry of Health. It's appalling how this has played out. And Pacifica are once again through no fault of their own in the midst of this Delta outbreak. And all this in turn sparked an in-depth talanoa on 531PI and its Pacific morning show hosted by Aggie Tupo, which was also streamed on Facebook Live. And in this discussion, TVNZ's Barbara Drever was also asked whether it was wrong for the media to report the ethnicity of the COVID cases, which ended up in turn triggering that racist response from others. The figures don't lie. It's out there. We have a responsibility to make sure that our Pacific community have that information. Um, and I don't buy, you know, veer away from using those figures. Um, I try to avoid using specific ethnicities. Like, I don't see there's any reason to say mm. Tongan cases or who cares? Like, that Agreed. is irrelevant. Yes. Um, but what yeah. is important is that our Pacific community know that things are, uh, are tough with our community. And this weekend on the News Hub Nation show, Manase Lua, the Pacific Response Coordination Team Chair, was also concerned about that same issue. We need to let our communities know the virus is here, but let our community media or our community leaders front the story. Don't get reporters running up and making a sensationalised position on something. We didn't see that in the North Shore. Actually, the guy was from Devonport, and he was probably European. You didn't hear anything about his race. We had a church in Freeman's Bay in the middle of um, a well-heeled community. Did you hear about that? No. The sensationalism always hit South Auckland, and we're sick of it. Another with concerns about the media reporting of the COVID clusters in Auckland this past week was Samson Samasoni, a former journalist who now heads the TV production company Oriana TV. The Ministry of Health need to take equal blame for this. You know, it was exactly a year ago that uh, the Papatoetoe family were vilified over the same sort of thing. And they should have learnt from that experience that you've got to be really careful about how things are communicated on the parliamentary pulpit. So for the Director General of Health to come out and identify um, a Samoan church uh, very specifically, they should have known that that was then going to lead to headlines. And uh, what resulted was um, essentially bigot bait because the headline said Samoan church was a, was the location of interest. You know, I mean, media will say that that was a key identifier. I actually think uh, Mangare Church probably would have been more illuminating as a location. You know, was there enough consideration given by media as to what might happen and whether it was necessary to have uh, Samoan or an ethnic group in in the headlines specifically? And I think uh, maybe one test would have been if it had been Parker, would it have made any more sense? Yeah, difficult circumstance in in this particular one, given that 
Dr. Bloomfield was talking about the Assembly of God Church of Samoa, which obviously has the name of the nation in the title. But also, in terms of journalists repeating the information, people do want to know, don't they, all the details of this. And for example, at the time, the Ministry of Health was trying to recruit contact tracers with language skills for reaching Pacifica communities. So isn't it important that as much as information as possible gets out and that might actually help the targeting of uh, resources and, and, and even support? I think the, the, the key thing from a media perspective is how pertinent or relevant was it in the headline. Now, the fact that media turned around and took it out after that means that uh, the story and the headline can survive without it. You know, it still works. Whether it should have been the story, no question at all. You know, that would have uh, that clearly needs to be covered, and the exact name of the uh, of the church needs to be in there. But even that was handled poorly. It was uh, because the the church was called all sorts of different things. But as I say, uh, the media generally is to be commended for very quickly uh, responding to the concerns that were raised. Well, TV and Z1 News on Thursday, interestingly, um, kicked off almost with a breakdown of the cases so far because the ministry had provided uh, some details on not just ethnic backgrounds but also um, gender, the gender split. And for the first time, we have a breakdown on just who is testing positive. It's a fairly even split between male and female with slightly more women having COVID. Breaking it down by age now, and have a look at this. Under 30s make up 62% of our current cases. The largest age bracket affected, those between 20 and 29, accounting for a third of all cases. As health officials have been telling us, Pacifica people have been hardest hit, making up 69% of cases. I think people are really interested to know all the details they possibly can. Barbara Drever of TVNZ made an interesting point on a 5 through 1 PI discussion of media coverage of all this. She said... You know, if you're going to identify um, certain communities in the way it was done, it behoves the media to then reference the initiatives that are also being being run in you know certain communities or, or by churches as well. That gives an impression that uh, a certain community or, or church uh, is not necessarily a vulnerability just because they're at the heart of a cluster, but also you know a source of strength in combating it and boosting vaccinations. Oh, definitely. I mean, Barbara uh, on One News has done a, a fantastic job of providing extra uh, context uh, to what's going on. What wasn't known uh, at the time was just how active the Samoan community particularly had been in getting people to uh, test. So I was personally aware that it was a, a Samoan church on the Thursday evening. And on Friday, messages had gone out around the country from the church urging people to go out and get tested if they had been there and if they had come into contact with any others. So there, are, from what I could see, there were hundreds of different people associated with that event. They were already going out and getting tested. So I, I, but the context is important. I think on top of the fact there's been so much coverage about the low vaccination rates, you know, the sort of this narrative that's starting to build up of Pacific people don't go and get vaccinated. Uh, and here they are coming together for a, a church service and getting uh, infected in huge numbers. It all starts to play into this thing. And if you don't have the other side of the story, uh, then uh, you, you're um, offering the race haters uh, the bait they need to be able to criticise and point fingers at their Pacific communities. Yes, there have been both news stories and media interviews and commentary 
that have been really confusing on that issue you just identified there about vaccination rates. I've heard, say, TV presenters refer just almost in passing to um, low rates and lagging rates of vaccination, and yet also conversely saying, as I think ministry figures have indicated, uh, really high rates of vac- uh, vaccination uptake, particularly in people over 40 among Pasifika people, uh, but also completely contradictory uh, media reports about both low and high rates of COVID testing among Pacific communities. <laughs> yeah, look, it's fascinating just watching that. How can you have high testing of the Pacifica communities, which means they're overcoming all the barriers of access, motivation, digital exclusion, digital divide, you know, all those all those aspects that we're told are the reasons that uh, there's a low vaccination turnout, how could they overcome those barriers uh, in terms of testing, but then not be prepared to go and get vaccinated? You have to point the finger partly at the, the minister, well, mostly at the Ministry of Health. I think they've been very poor at communicating those figures. Uh, the, the first proper detailed figures came out on the 6th of August from the Ministry of Health. Uh, they've got this equitable outcome approach that they've been trying to, uh, uh, they've been saying that they've been using, and the, and the government keeps saying, look, the figures aren't as bad as the community and other people are saying. From what we see, it's looking good. But no one has been able to understand that because we haven't been able to see the figures properly until the 6th of August. The problem was they printed this uh, this chart, uh, which has this really complicated formula. Uh, I mean, it would have been easy to crack the Enigma code and really understand what they meant by this equitable uh, approach. And so some media have actually been forced to try and do it themselves. I remember back in July, I think it was, the New Zealand Herald put their own figures together and uh, just based on population data and what they could see from the, the vaccination data the MOH had made available. And what that suggested is that, in fact, the Pacifica vaccination numbers were on par with the rest of the community. And the key context here is that Pacific communities have a totally different age profile. If you think that Europeans, the median age is 41, whereas the Pacifica median age is 23. Um, What we needed to understand was the proportionality, not the exact numbers, if you like. And now that uh, the RNZ has done some great work on this uh, just recently, and and now, as you say, they've found that for the 40-plus age group, Pacifica are actually the highest (laughs) of any ethnicity group in terms of vaccinations. And I think what we're now going to see is a bit of unravelling of this narrative that Pacifica have low vaccination rates. There's still some challenges ahead uh, because we've got the younger population who may, may be hard to reach, but MOH has been particularly poor at communicating this properly to the media and to the Pacifica community. That was Samson Samasoni, former journalist who's now a general manager at the TV production company Oregana TV. If ever there was an essential service, parliamentary scrutiny is surely it. MPs were due to return to the debating chamber today, but the Prime Minister objected. We have temporarily suspended the sitting of Parliament for one week on the advice of the Director-General of Health. That was RNZ's Deputy Political Editor Craig McCulloch reporting the move by the Prime Minister that had the opposition up in arms last Tuesday. 
The National Party leader complained that a pausing debate in Parliament was dictatorial one-party state stuff. It looks to me as though the government, having left the country largely unvaccinated, is simply wanting to shut down debate. And the ACT Party leader told RNZ we should be able to have Parliament if we still have the Fourth Estate and other sorts of services. While we still have peaches and cream delivering all sorts of toys, Uber operating, Air New Zealand still flying, radio and TV shows still doing morning talk shows, all of that's okay, but Westminster democracy is not. You've got to be kidding. Well, five years ago, David Seymour startled the media a little when he said he enjoyed a bit of Netflix and chill over the summer. And when he deployed peaches and cream this week, he could be pretty sure that the media would amplify that little soundbite, even in the midst of a COVID crisis. And once he'd said it, the same could be said of the health minister's earlier slip in the daily 1pm briefing. Look, it is a challenge in higher density areas for people to get outside and to uh, spread their legs when, they are, um, uh, when, they're, when they're surrounded by other people. Now, it was pretty obvious that Chris Hipkins meant to say, stretch your legs there, but the media gave that gaffe plenty more legs, including this over-the-top interpretation from the AM show co-host Amanda Gillies. I wonder if nine months' time there'll be a baby boom where everyone's gone, Chris Hipkins said that's what we had to do, yes, we're going to do it. And well, baby all, COVID. well, the worst part is that you all have to do it outside. Now, leaving aside the novelty of all that, and adult novelties in the case of David Seymour, the point being made about the pausing of Parliament was that a likely lack of scrutiny for the government's COVID response would be a bad thing. But as the ACT Party leader himself noted, the media have not paused. And this week, the angst of the opposition parties didn't go unreported. The ACT leader's Zoom-based grilling of officials and the minister and the Health Select Committee was certainly noticed by reporters. For example, stuff reported David Seymour's shock that only half of the COVID-19 case contacts have returned test results in the current outbreak. And the media also turned some more of ACT's handy handouts to the media into headlines. For example, David Seymour's idea of a cash prize pool to incentivise scanning in was widely discussed by talk radio hosts last weekend, though few of those hosts who thought he was onto something also wondered whether being in to win by scanning spuriously could actually contaminate the contact tracing system. Judith Collins' message was also aired in the news when she said, New Zealanders need vaccines, not sermons. And it's not enough for the Prime Minister, she said, to lock us in our homes and just speak to us from the podium once a day. Though she didn't actually criticise the extended lockdown itself, and neither in fact did any other politician or media commentator. Well, except one, Leighton Smith, in his weekly podcast for NZME last week. We didn't want this, did we? We didn't want it, we didn't need it. We didn't ask for it. Nevertheless, we've got it, so let's deal with it. Now, when it came to how it came to another lockdown in the first place, there was some illuminating reporting this past week. And a good example was an analysis by newsroom.co.nz of the suboptimal segregation of the Crown Plaza walkway, the place where Delta is most likely to have entered the community. And the media were certainly scrutinising current claims of the government's progress too this week. At Tuesday's 1pm press conference, for example, the Deputy Prime Minister Grant Robertson told reporters this. Yesterday was our best day ever for vaccinations and the first time that we've had more than 60,000 in a day. But RNZ's Craig McCulloch wrote on the RNZ website that many of those caught in the Delta outbreak last Monday were not vaccinated as they were not yet eligible. And the vaccine rollout, he said, 
was staggeringly slow by international standards. He said that Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern had been unapologetic and dismissive of any criticism of the government's vaccine campaign, though she didn't have much trouble batting away just one single question about it during a 10-minute chat with TVNZ Breakfast the same day. Because right at the beginning of the year, we said this would take a full year, and that was literally because of the supply that we had. And the previous day, just after the lockdown extension announcement, the questions on the Seven Sharp show on TVNZ were pretty blunted. Well, Delta seems to be very spreadable. Is that making you rethink, perhaps, your elimination strategy? Not for now, no. But the next morning, the Prime Minister was challenged a bit more forcefully about the vaccine rollout on the AM show on 3 by the host, Ryan Bridge. You know, some sitting at 60%, and that is not enough to stop outbreaks. The so UK's those countries to whom you are comparing... If I could just... Actually, the UK is not at 87. They're more like the, 70%. At the BBC says the over 16-year-olds at 87% for both vaccines. That's the BBC this morning. Well, there were a few numbers there, though few of them were fully accurate. 87% of Britons over 16 had had one dose of vaccine, according to the BBC. Only 75% have had two. But still, that was more than the number Jacinda Ardern was quoting there. And on News Talk ZB last Monday, Mike Hosking also compared our situation to the UK's. So in Britain, the trouble they have that you see in the daily stats are the unvaccinated. Not literally everyone, but the vast, vast majority. And the difference between us and them is they have all had the chance to get protected. The ones in trouble now have chosen not to be protected. Same in America. But it really isn't just the pandemic of the unvaccinated in the UK. Last week, there were more than 600 COVID deaths there, the biggest weekly total since the big wave back in March. And the BBC's misinformation countering service Reality Check said this week that COVID-19 was the ninth biggest cause of death in England just last month, the month before, in June, It was only the 26th most common cause of death. Public Health England said that you can't currently just compare the number of COVID deaths among vaccinated and unvaccinated people and come to any conclusions about how effective the jabs are because most fully vaccinated people are over the age of 50 and therefore more likely to die, while most unvaccinated people are still young and healthy. Or you could take another country closer to our size, like Norway, where 811 people have died of COVID-19. Almost 9 out of 10 of those over 18 in Norway have now received the first dose of COVID-19, and just over half are fully vaccinated. But supply is the issue there, as it is here. And on that, Mike Hosking told his listeners this last Monday. So when if you're rolling out 4.20 a week, work it through, 4.20 a week, and Hipkins is spruiking 350 arriving in the country, you're already in negative territory. You can't roll them out because you don't have them. But we do, as just a glance at the Ministry of Health's online COVID statistics page confirms. The table marked vaccines available for distribution at that time showed 300,000 doses of vaccine in stock for distribution, with the fine print adding that that didn't include stock already in transit or already at sites and available for you straight away. Back in June, though, that wasn't the case, and the New Zealand Herald at the time published a column by Matthew Hooten claiming that we'd run out of the vaccine within days if the ministry and the government were giving everybody the right numbers. And that triggered a wave of criticism from hosts at the Herald's sister station, News Talk ZB. 
Looks like we're running out of the vaccine next uh, Monday. And this, as I say, is the whole country apparently possibly running out of the vaccine. Matthew Hooten has done the numbers for the Herald for an opinion piece that's in there right now. But by that time, the article had been rewritten because Matthew Hooten didn't factor in regular shipments from Pfizer arriving roughly once a week. Now, every day, the highlights of the Mike Hosking Breakfast Show are packaged up as a podcast by his sidekick, Glenn Hart. And while he was at it last Monday, he fact-checked his colleague a little. Um, yeah, I've not heard anybody complaining, though, that they turned up for their jab and were told that they couldn't have it because there wasn't any, because they'd run out. That, that literally hasn't happened. So I don't quite know... I mean, I get that, you know, Hipkins said that such and such, you know, 300-odd thousand it turned out the other day, but by those numbers, the numbers that Mike was just saying, that wouldn't be enough per, per week. But we already had some. Man, he just got out of the wrong side of bed this morning, I reckon. Don't you? Well, more importantly, Mike Hosking was on the wrong side of the facts and of his insistence that the smugness and arrogance of government was keeping us all in a state of fear Glenn Hart pondered this. Here at Newsworks ZB, we perhaps do have a role to play in the in the not being frightened bit, um, which then begs the question, why would we suggest that there's some kind of supply issue with the vaccine? Now, when the COVID crisis first broke in March last year, the boss of NZME, Michael Boggs, acknowledged that very responsibility when he published an open letter to all New Zealanders in every single NZME media outlet. Now, this promised the highest standards of journalism and trustworthy information, and there was no expiry date on that letter. But in his Mike Hosking rewrap last Monday, Glenn Hart left its listeners with this question. What is it, do you think, Hosker's trying to achieve by basically um, moaning about the government's COVID response in retrospect constantly. Does he, is he, does he want some kind of uprising? Does he want us to overthrow the government? I mean, I get if we would get it coming out to an election. But, I mean, you know, we've got the government we've got. They've made the decisions that they've made. Now it is what it is. I just don't know how helpful this is anyway. But I suppose it's important that, you know, he tries to inform people about, you know, what's gone right and what's gone wrong. Well, if he was actually doing that, that would be fine. But as Glenn Hart and all at Newstalk ZB know, this is really all about engaging an audience. Though not all of the listeners to ZB actually approve. Well, maybe someone should protect Mike, because Mike just... Every morning I get out of bed, I get ready to go to work, and all I hear is negativity. Like, it just drives me insane. You know what? I don't hear that. I don't hear that at all. I hear someone that actually gives a damn about his country and works his ass off to make this country better. That's what I hear when I listen to him. That was caller Ellie asking ZB's Wellington host Nick Mills last Tuesday morning to have a word with Mike Hosking. All he did was ask questions, and I thought... You know, without him... I I found his approach actually um, very derogatory and very negative. And and I don't think as an adult anyone should... Investigative journalism is so incredibly important today with all the the rubbish we see on social media. But I would just like to see a more balanced approach. And that wasn't the only burn for ZB's top-rating talk show host this week. Even the long-running TV2 show for kids, What Now?, had a dig at Mike Hosking in its puppet-based drama series, Serial Stuff. 
Here we are at the world final of the big Formula One car race. Everyone's here. I can see Captain Steele, Afu and Susie and a whole bunch of really lovely famous people. And Mike Hosking. Wonder what the kids made of that. Well, back on News Talk ZB in Wellington on Tuesday, Nick Mills, who owns entertainment and hospitality businesses in the city, told his caller Ellie this. I just want a roadmap. I'm not asking, I'm not sitting here dogging, dogging. With the facts that we've been given, I know what you're saying, but with the facts that we've been given, I think you can draw that conclusion yourself. I think... I don't want to draw a conclusion, Ellie. I want... I want to know that there is a plan. And he's not alone in pleading for a road map, but it would have to be through a landscape that no one can actually map. In an opinion piece headlined, Newsflash, this is the road map, which was published last weekend before the lockdown extension and before so many other opinion pieces, the editor of online subscription service Business Desk, Patrick Smelly, pointed his readers to the recent report by Sir David Skegg's panel on how the government could reopen our border. Now, anyone who read their report, he said, issued just a fortnight ago, would know that the lockdown we now see is the plan. We are one day, he said, going to have to learn to live with the virus, as people keep saying, and its variants. The question is when, but the answer is not now. On Nine to Noon's media slot on RNZ National last Tuesday, the former editor of the press, Andrew Holden, said our media seem to be struggling with a balanced approach to the question the media are now raising more and more often, is our elimination strategy really the way forward? So it's a really tricky point for the media in terms of, of how they articulate that debate. So it's an interesting place for journalists to be in is, is where do they keep prodding and whether they accept that the community are comfortable with the current settings. Now it's not the media's job to worry about people's comfort with the current settings, as Andrew Holden put it there, but some of those they invite to speak about the issue and why is a bit of a puzzle. And on Midweek Media Watch last Wednesday, talking to Nights with Brian Crump, I took a look at the media's approach to advocates of eliminating our elimination strategy. That's available on the Media Watch page of the RNZ website if you missed it, the RNZ app, or you'll find it in our podcast feed. (laughs) 